says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, uh, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I will read till ten. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Let us bow down for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are gracious, you are merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And one thing I am sure, O oh Lord, is that you love the people that are in this room, O oh God. So, Lord Almighty, because of that great love that you have for them, I ask that you may use me as a vessel, Lord, to bring forth your word to them. Encourage someone, O oh Lord. Rebuke another, O oh Lord. Strengthen another, O oh God. And above all things, build up, O oh Lord Almighty, these people whom you have saved through the blood of your Son, whom you sent for us. We love you and we worship you, O oh God, because you are great and greatly to be praised. And there is truly no one that is like you. It is in Jesus' name we have prayed and asked. Amen. So I would like to look at this um, sermon, which is actually entitled Connected to the True Vine, according to our, our theme. Connected to the True Vine. I'd like to look at it in four parts, based on what we have just read in those ten verses that we have looked at in John 15. And I want to look at it in these four parts. The first part I look at the fellowship of the four. The fellowship of the four. And in this part I will be trying to understand the importance of the vine, so the fellowship of the four. The second one I look at is, the second part I look at is, the fruitful follower. The fruitful follower. How do I know I am a fruitful follower of Christ? The third part I look at is, the fitting work of pruning. The fitting work of pruning. And the last part will be, if time allows, the fate of the fruitless. So I'll not promise that I'll do the last two, which is the fitting work of pruning and the fate of, fruit, of the fruitless, because of time, but I'll try my best to do the first two, if you will bear with me. So I'd like us to go to the fellowship of the four. The fellowship of the four. And you will see that the Bible, as I've told you, is using symbols. Jesus is using symbols here. And he says that he is the true vine. So there are four symbols here that I want us to understand. There is the true vine. There is the vine dresser. There are the branches. And I will add one that is there also, the nourishment. So there is the true vine, there is the vine dresser, there are the branches, then there is the nourishment. The nourishment is what is causing the branches to bear fruit. See, there is no reason why the branch should be connected to the vine for that mere reason that is being connected. There is nourishment that is entering into that branch, causing it to do what? To bear fruit. So I'll start with the true vine. And we can clearly see that we are not left guessing who the true vine is. Because Jesus says in 
the first um, verse, and these are the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus is about to just be betrayed and die. And so these are the last things that he's saying on earth. And then he says, I am the true vine. So Jesus Christ is the true vine. And then he goes on to say that my father is the vine dresser. So we are not left guessing. The true vine is Jesus Christ. The vine dresser, or the person who is taking care of the vine, who is, who is uh, actually the calling the farmer, is the father. Still, Jesus Christ is the true vine. The father is the vine dresser. And then you are not also left guessing on who the branches are. You look at John 15 verse 5 and it says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. You that are my disciples are the branches. I am the true vine, you are the branches. And then I'll also say that the nourishment is the Holy Spirit. So this, the Father who is the vine dresser. And then there is Jesus Christ who is the true vine. And we are the branches. And it is the Holy Spirit who is causing us to bear fruit. So the nourishment, the Holy Spirit. The vine dresser, the Father. The true vine, Jesus Christ. And we are the branches. Now, there are about four things I'd like to say in this part. The first one is that it is important to understand the God of the Bible as being Trinity. It is important to understand the God of the Bible as being Trinity. Now, our benediction, our benediction goes something like this. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. We mention the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of who? The Holy Spirit. Meaning our God is one being but three persons. Now, I know that many and some actually, some monotheistic critics of Christianity, those faiths apart from Christianity that have one God, do and specifically the Muslims, they have a problem with this statement of the Bible, like this statement of Christianity that we are having one God, one being, but who is three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Today we've been saying Baba, Etuwa, Binguni, Jinalakoli, Spirit. And then at another time we will say, you came from heaven to earth, we are, sing we are, we are singing to the Son, Sindio. Baba, Etu, the Father. And then another time we will say that, let your living water, and we say, we also say something like, Tawala, Roho, Tawala, we are speaking to the Holy Spirit, Sindio. So it is good to understand that our God is Trinity. And although this critics of, of, of this specific doctrine of Christianity have a problem with it because they say it appears nowhere in the Bible until the second century when some Christians start using that term Trinity. Yet when you read the whole Bible, you will see it variously implied. Many times you will see it that it is spoken clearly that our God exists in a community of three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hence, in Genesis 1.26, when God is creating the earth, he says, let us make man in our own image. How then can God speak in plural? He is one person in a community of three. He is one being in a community of three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And also you will read the same thing. You can look at Revelation 1, 4 to 5. And you will see that the book of Revelation is being sent by the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Now what is the importance of understanding our God as being community? 
And I have searched many times because this is a thing that has been in my mind for many days until I came and I, I came across this argument that the fact that what what is the greatest importance that God is community and you will look and you will see that the most important thing about God being community is love. That God has not started loving by creating the world. God did not create the world because he was lonely. He did not create you because he needed something to love. He was loving from the very beginning. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were in a community of love. Jesus says in John 17 verse 5, Father glorify me with the glory that you and I had even before the world began. Meaning Jesus Christ was there from the beginning with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And it is out of that great enormous love that God has created us that he may now share that love with us. You see, so it is important to understand God because we know that the one thing that we've been told God is holy and also John, 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now the second thing, after we have come to understand that God is Trinity, is that God's invitation to men is not an invitation to religion. It is an invitation to communion. God's invitation to men is not an invitation to religion. It is an invitation to communion. I want us to read 1 John chapter 1, verse 2 to 3. So the Apostle John is writing and he says this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 2 to 3 says, The life was made manifest, and we saw it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you. And why are we proclaiming these things? He says, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, and I am writing these things that your joy may be. Our joy, we are writing these things that our joy may be complete. So John is basically telling them, we are proclaiming these things to you that you may believe. So that you may have, you may join in the fellowship that we are in. And he says that our fellowship is with the Father and our fellowship is with the Son. And may I add, we are having that fellowship because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. So it is a fellowship of four in which the sinner is drawn to God and is put in this communion with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. So John is inviting us not to a religion. He's inviting us to a communion with God. He's inviting us to a communion and a fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, if you understand this, then you will not have a problem with being marked by people as being this or the other, as being a Christian, for example. And there's been a controversy that I have just recently looked at in the United States about a song that has been done by a very popular musician called Beyonce. That was done, actually. She's only now doing a tour to kind of remember this, an album she did. And that, and that, is, that song is called The Church Girl. So in that song, when you look at the lyrics, because many of these songs you cannot hear what they are saying until you, you know, look at the lyrics. When you look at the lyrics, 
Beyonce is trying to say that there is this lady who is serving in the church, but she feels entitled, she feels obligated that after I've done all these things, I want to go and also enjoy what is the world, the world has to offer. So I am a church guy, and she herself grew up in that type of setting where she went to church. Many of these musicians actually started singing in church, but they ended up where they are. But anyway, she's trying, what she's basically saying is, I feel like I am na nafungiwa, sindio? So I want, after I have done all these things that I have to do in church, one of the things she says is that I have to serve God. I feel like I have to serve God. You know, I need to serve God after all this. So after that, I go and do these other, other things. So she tries to portray, and it is actually a frustration that is real, in a person who has not understood that we are not doing religion. What we are doing is we are communing with God. I am not seeking to be approved by men because I'm a church girl or a church boy. I am not seeking for people to say, you know, I'm not trying to be what people want me to be so that they can applause me. The world will sometimes applause people who come to church. And that's why we have so many people coming to church, but they have no communion with God. They are just church girls and church boys. And I want you to know that if you want to really walk with God, don't accept to just be a church girl or church boy seeking the praise of people because you are, you, are, you are fitting into the social norm of we go to church, we dress this way, but seek more than that to have this communion that John is talking about, the communion with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Because that is what will make the difference. You will not care what people think because yours is communion with God. And so, in first John is saying about that Communion of four. Fellowship of four. Son, Father, Spirit, and you brought into one. Now it is at this point that I also want to say that man has lost communion with God because of sin. Man has lost that fellowship and communion with God because of sin. And this is specifically what death is all about. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says, and the sting of death is sin. Meaning, what he's actually saying is, you know the way there is a sting of a, of a bee, that, that actually it is through that sting that you have the acid that is within the, 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 the bee entering into you. So the sting of death is what? Sin. What makes death enter you is sin. Sin enter, death enters you through sin. And we've been told we are being paid if you sin. What are you paid? Death. The wages of sin is death. Now what is this death that he is talking about? This death is separation from God. This death is the death of the spirit. You know this is the death of the body which all of us will die at some point. Isn't it? But then there is also the death of the spirit. The death of the spirit is to be condemned by God. It is to receive the judgment of God. It is to be an enemy of God. In Ezekiel 18 verse 4, Ezekiel says that God is saying, all spirits are mine, the spirits of the fathers and of the sons. But then he says that every soul that sins will die. What is God saying? God is saying, everyone who sins will be separated from me will break this communion with me, will be at enmity with 
me. And so it is out of this death that we incur, we incur judgment from God, from a holy God. Now, we move on to the importance of the true vine. Why is it important that we understand Jesus Christ is the true vine? Now, God's plan of reconciling fallen men to himself. I've told you that men have lost communion with God. And because of sin, they have incurred what? Death. And what is death? Separation from God. Enmity with God that ends in judgment. But then, God has made a way by which sinful men will be reconciled to himself. And this is through Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53 verse 5 to 6 it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us well. And with his stripes we are healed. And it goes on to say that all we like sheep have strayed. And we have gone every single one of us to his own way. And God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So God has chosen a man by which he will indeed pay the very thing that you and I deserve to be paid because of our rebellion against God. And that is Jesus Christ. On the cross, he takes on himself the judgment that is yours, the judgment that is mine, that which we rightfully deserve. He takes it on himself. Isaiah is writing like 700 years before Jesus Christ is born and he says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. On him was the punishment that made us well. And with his stripes we are healed. And so it is important to know that there is no communion with God except through Jesus Christ first and foremost. One of the most common verses of all of Christendom is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That everlasting life is given by believing in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And that is why in 1 John chapter 5 it says, This is the witness that God the Father has given, that God has given men life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who has not the son of God has not life. And so the first thing is this. It is important to be connected to Jesus Christ because it is through him that first of all, the judgment of God on us is removed. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Number two, it is Jesus Christ who reconciles us to the Father. He brings us close to the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 13 to verse 18, you can read it at your own time. It says that it, Paul is told, talking to the Gentiles. He tells them that at one time you were separated from God. And you know we are also Gentiles. None of us, I, I doubt there is a Jew here. Is there one? Good. So I'm talking to Gentiles. He says that at one time, all of you were separated from God. He says you are without God and without hope in the world. The end verse 13 says, but now, it says, you have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. God has brought us near through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the third thing is this, 
that by faith in him, we become God's own people. God does not just remove the judgment that was ours because of sin. He does not just reconcile us to himself. He makes us his very own children. That is why it is in John chapter 1 verse 12 says, For everyone who believed in him, who received him, who is him? Jesus Christ. He gave them the power to be called children of God. And then, I remember when we were at least young at Dogo, and you know you had this in, in school, and you had this bottle of maybe juice, and you don't want anyone to Unafanya what is called bakosh. I don't know, it's something like that, that line. I only came later to learn that it's not bakosh, it's backwash, you know, the things we used to, to say when we were, we were young. But anyway, it is that one that shows that this is mine. And also people put different things to show that something is theirs. A signature, a seal. Now, in Ephesians 1, 12 to 14. Ephesians 1, 12 to 14. It says that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel that was preached to you, and you believed in it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. He is the mark that you are a child of God. We are looking for assurance. How do you know that you are a child of God? Do you have the spirit of God? That is the sign. That is the sign that the scriptures tell us. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It is the spirit of God that bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. So what is God's seal to say that mine, 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 the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. And that is the seal that you are a child of God. And so we are adopted into God's family. And we are crafted into a place of communion with God. And so we become part of the true family. We become united with Christ. His death becomes our death. His life becomes our life. The blessings that God has bestowed on Christ become our blessings. You will read in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that you have been, the Father has blessed us, not blessed us just like that, blessed us in Christ. It is because of Christ that we are receiving the blessings of God. Because Jesus Christ is the beloved of the Father. The Father loves the Son and he loves everyone who is in the Son. So if you are not connected to the vine, you need to know that the vine dresser has no business with you. The father has no business with anyone who is not connected to the vine. That is why it is our preaching that Jesus Christ must be received, must be believed in, because apart from that, there is no connection to God. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, no one goes to the Father except through Him. Now I'll go to the second part. The fruitful follow. The fruitful follow. And I've said, before we go to the fruitful follow and you start asking, do I, how do I know I'm bearing fruit? You must start by really asking yourself, am I connected to Jesus Christ? Do I really 
Can I really say that I have put my faith in him? That I have a relationship with this man called Jesus Christ? That is where it must start. And if you have not, you can. Because the door is still open. Christ is still saving. God is still receiving people into his family. And his mercy is still there in Christ. Now, John 15 verse 5. He says, apart from, we bear fruit, he says, let's just read John 15 verse 5. John 15 verse 5 says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And so we see from that, that you cannot bear fruit except you abide in Jesus Christ. You cannot bear fruit except you abide in Jesus Christ. And so, at this point, I'll be looking at two things. The first one I'll be looking at is, how do I know I am bearing fruit? And the second one is, how can I abide in Christ so that I may bear fruit? We've already been told how to bear fruit. We're not left guessing. If you want to bear fruit, abide in Christ. If you want to bear fruit, remain in Christ. So the question will be, number one, how do I know I am bearing fruit? And number two is, if I want to bear fruit, I have to abide. So how do I abide in, in Christ? So we'll start with the first one, which is, how do I know I am bearing fruit? Now, the fruit that is born by the disciples of Jesus Christ is threefold. And the fruit of a plant reveals its identity. We know that this is a mango tree because it gives us mango fruits. We know this is an orange tree because it gives us, gives us orange fruits. And we will know if you are a Christian by your fruit. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. This is how you know them, by their fruits. So I'll mention three things and you just want to look at these things. Number one is the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance. I want you to open Matthew chapter 3 verse 7 to 10. Matthew chapter 3 verse 7 to 10. And I'll read. When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to the place of his baptism. This is John the Baptist. He said to them, brood of vipers who want you to flee from the coming wrath. Next verse. Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Uh-huh. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Verse 10. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of every of the trees. Therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the Fine. Then I want us to go to First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter six from verse nine. And this is what it says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now let us not be easy on ourselves. 
Jesus Christ our Lord has already told us that narrow is the way and hard is the path that leads to life. And few be there who even find it. And broad is the road and easy is the way that leads to destruction and many are they who walk in it. What does Jesus Christ mean when he says this? Is Jesus Christ saying that it is hard to come before us and say that I am a Christian? Is Jesus Christ saying that it is easy to repeat a prayer? And I'm not against the sinner's prayer. Mark my words. I'm only saying, is that hard? The difference, the one cutting difference between an empty professor of religion and a true child of God is the fruit of repentance. And repentance is a turning away from the ways we have walked. It is a change of mind. Now, am I saying that you are to be perfect? The scripture does not tell us about perfection in this world yet. We will be perfected in the world to come. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, it says that there is no righteous man who does good and never sins. And the Lord himself taught us that when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then the Apostle John tells us that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just forgive your sins and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. All this will not have talked about sin in the believer if it is not true that believers do fall into sin. But one thing, one thing is that it is impossible. It is impossible to encounter Christ and live the way you lived. It is impossible. It is impossible to encounter Christ and live the way you have lived. And that is why in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is telling the Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not receive or inherit the kingdom of God? And he tells them this, Do not be deceived. And he mentions those that will not receive that kingdom, inherit that kingdom. But then at the tail end of that which he's saying there, he says, And such were some of you. But what happened? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. In other words, he's telling them, that is what you are. But you encountered Christ. And so it is impossible to encounter Christ and live the way you have lived. There has to be a bearing of the fruit of repentance. And then Psalms chapter 1 tells us that blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the seat of the scornful or stand in the path of sinners but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on it he meditates day and night. Meaning that the truly righteous man yes, they, they may sleep even seven times the Bible says but they will not stand in the path of sinners. They will not sit in the seat of the scornful. They will not walk in the ways of the ungodly. They will not linger. The Christian does not linger in sin. They do not remain in sin. They remain in Christ. And so even when they fall in sin, they go back to Christ. Forgive me, because they have been given a new nature. The Holy Spirit has been put in them. He convicts them of sin. They have been given a new nature. They love the law of God within themselves. And when they sin, God comes after them and convicts them. And they go back to God. They are broken over sin. If there is brokenness in you, then you ought to know that God is working something in you. 
I don't want to nullify your faith because of a sin that you have committed. But I'm asking you, is there change as you are moving on? Because the true believer will bear the fruit of repentance. Can a Christian be plagued by repetitive sin? Yes. But I am meant to see a true Christian who is comfortable in repetitive sin. There are those sins that easily entangle us. I do not refuse. But you have to make war. The true Christian is always making war. He wants to be free. But he finds himself struggling. But the truth of the matter is that the true Christian wants to be free. And so, there is a specific type of sin that causes grief in the true saint and makes them broken and contrite to constantly cry for relief from God. They don't joke about sin. They weep about sin. And a broken heart and a contrite spirit, our God will not overlook. Because he is a God who draws near to the broken in heart and the contrite in spirit. So, my call and urge to you, my dear brothers and sisters, let us not make peace with sin. Let us not make peace with sin. In its every shape, size, and form, cry to God, set me free. Number two, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love. The person who is abiding in Christ loves. You cannot love the God you have never seen. You cannot love the people that you live with every day. Love is the one command that Jesus leaves us with. He tells us to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. Joy. I'm not talking about mere happiness and pleasure. I'm talking about abiding joy. That which God gives to the ones who strive with him and continue with him. That thing that stays even when everyone leaves. That thing that is there even when things are difficult. But still you are rejoicing. That which Peter told them to do, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. And he's telling people who are being just from their houses, the houses are being burnt, they have been put in prison because of the name of Jesus, but because they declared that Jesus is the king. And these things are happening, yet he's telling them rejoice. It is what the disciples experienced when they were whipped, and they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to share the sufferings of Christ. It is the fruit of having the Holy Spirit in us to be joyful always. Peace there are many things that everyone enjoys in this world by God's mere mercy and compassion. Good or bad, he makes the sun to shine on the good and the evil, the rain to fall on the good and the evil. Wealth may come to men that are wicked. But there is only one thing that the scripture has, one thing that the scripture has told us. A wicked man will never have. There is no peace for the wicked. No peace. Peace is a result of having the spirit in you. It is a result of abiding in Christ. No peace for the wicked. Patience, waiting, kindness, giving to other people, looking at the needs of other people. Goodness, not niceness, goodness, goodness. Faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. You will know you have the spirit if these things are increasing in you. I'm not saying they are perfect in you, increasing in you. Number three, the fruit of impact. And I think I want to close it here because of time. The fruit of impact. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. We love this verse we sing about. There are so many songs that have been sung about this. Says that you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15. No one lights a lamp and plants and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light for all who are in the house. Uh-huh. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. My question to you is, are you light and are you salt where you are? Are you living for God's praise or are you living for man's praise? Can you not see that God gives us opportunities every day for us to bear fruit for him, to make impact in this world? This world is dark, and I know you live in it, so you know it is dark. But you are planted where you are as light, and you've been put where you are as salt. Are you bearing fruit for God? Do you join in the mockery against Jesus Christ and smile when they make fun of the Bible? Are you ashamed of him before men? Or do you tell them about Christ? Does it bother you that he has endowed you with a voice? Yet you see a gap in the church choir and you do not want to fill in. You are warming the bench. He has enabled you. Use your gifts to serve him. He who saves his life will lose it. He may enter heaven, but with no rewards. Just be saved through the fire. And who knows, he may even never enter. He was always too busy for anything that is Godward. Perhaps it is because he never really loved God. He was too afraid like the servant who hid the talent in the ground. Too afraid to exert himself. Too afraid to burn out in overnight committees planning for missions. But not too afraid to spend hours until late night watching series laced with nudity, violence, and every form of wickedness described in the Bible. He had his priorities right. And they did not include the kingdom of God or its expansion. Do you bear fruit? Because you are the Christian in your class. Do you bear fruit? God will call into account every one of you. I'm not saying that you are saved by doing all these things. But I'm telling you that so long as you are a Christian. So long as God has put his spirit in you. You are saved through Jesus Christ. Your life is not yours. It is his. And he tells you that he has called you to a ministry. This ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. God is reconciling men to himself. And he's using men like you and me. So you have been called to a great task. Bear fruit for the kingdom of God. How do you live? Do people see Christ in you? And are you doing something to reach to the people around you? I'm not saying perfect. But are you doing something? Because... Every Christian, every person who is abiding in Christ will bear fruit of impact from leading the deity, from singing before us. All these things are fruit that is being born, the fruit of impact for our Father. So, know that so long as you've been called to this kingdom, you must bear fruit and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus Christ has not saved us for nothing. 
It says, for you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us even before the foundations of the world. So every one of us here has been called to something. Don't be like you, there is nothing you can do for Christ. Every one of you is called, saved, that you may bear fruit for God. I want to conclude there. I wish I could go on and on and on. But I will ask for just five more minutes if they allow me to conclude, to wrap up. It's okay. And I'll just go to the very last part of I'll skip the part of how to abide in Christ and bear fruit. And I will go to the last part of the fate of the fruitless. The fate of the fruitless. I'll just conclude it there. It says, in John 15 verse 6, it says, The branches that do not bear fruit are cut off from the vine. They become withered, they are picked up, and they are thrown into the fire. God is completely committed to keep his end of the bargain. He will never cast away anyone who comes to him through Jesus Christ. He is working in us to win and to do according to his good pleasure. And he loves his people very much. If there is anything that you must really understand is that God the Father loves you. Jesus Christ loves you. They love you. Father, Son, Spirit. That is why the whole work has been orchestrated to save you and to save me. God loves us. No question about that. No question. And he loves his people very much, but it is possible for us to harden our hearts against him. Hearts that are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Sin tells us that it does not matter how we live. It presumes upon God's mercies, which God gives that we may repent. It lies to us that you can postpone repentance as long as you want. And maybe sometime in your deathbed you may return. But if you trifle with sin, it will consume you, it will arrest you, and it will harden you against God's love. We hear about one saved, always saved, another debate in our Christian circles. If you want to be an intellectual with sin, go right ahead. But sin does not care whether you are a Calvinist. Sin does not care whether you are an Armenian. Sin does not care how much knowledge you have. It will ruin you. And we must battle with sin as God provides for us his spirit. Now you will miss eternal rewards and the joys of now serving Christ with a clear conscience. You will someday wish you obeyed. But like a son, maybe it will be too late to make amends. For while God forgives sins, even the worst kind, the repercussions of sin remain as a sore reminder of our disobedience. There are things we will never recover when we see and the repercussions come. So do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. But like men who have passed from death unto life, yield yourselves to God and your members to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have a dominion over you. You are not under law. You are under grace. Jesus has promised that he will never forsake us up to the close of the age. And he has told us that we can do nothing apart from him. 
Well, I don't know much about you, but I know Dennis. And I know that if there's anything about me, is that I need Jesus every hour. I need his spirit to help me pray. I need his grace to remind me that despite my failures, past or present, I am saved by him, his death and resurrection. And I need his strength and joy. I need his wisdom to guide me in life. I am foolish compared to the one who knows all things. If you are strong, go right ahead, great one. But if you are needy spiritually, the kingdom of God is for such as you. In weakness, Jesus Christ restores strength. Wait on the Lord. Find your strength renewed. As you continue, you will see that abiding in the vine is as simple as yielding to Christ and saying, Dear Lord, I cannot help me. I need you. Abide. Stay connected to the true vine. I want us to pray. And before we pray, start by first and foremost making an appeal to a person who is here. Maybe you come to church and you do all these things, but truly, you will not say that you have this communion that comes to Jesus Christ. You have not put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are not saved and you are here. And, and make this appeal to you. If you are there and you today want to accept Christ as your Lord, you want to receive this life that the Father has given to unite us to himself and make us his children. If you are there, I'd like to see by the show of hand. Am I good? I'd like for us to stand. Let us just all stand. just sing this song that says, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. And I'll ask the people who have been helping us, just come and help us. Lord, I come and I confess bowing here I find my rest You're the
want us to pray. Today I don't want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for everyone who is in this place, every believer, especially in campus. I want you to pray for a few things. The first one is for brokenness of a sin. Brokenness of a sin. And this comes through the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts. And the second thing that I want you to pray for is for the restoration of holy living among God's people. In yourself, but also for the person who is around you, the people who are around you. And for the spirit of love that God will help us to truly love one another because abiding in Christ is abiding in love. And finally, for the outpouring and outworking of the Holy Spirit. Because it is through the Holy Spirit that we are united to Christ and to the Father. So let us pray for these things. And I want us to just be in groups of three. Look for three people and pray for that person. Just look for three people and in that group, just pray for one another. Look for three people and hold your hands together. Pray for the Christian union here in campus that we will bear fruit for Christ. That all of us will be interested. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you because of your great plan to redeem us to yourself. That it has cost you, your son Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, may you help us not to carry that sacrifice. Lord Almighty, with contempt in our hearts and familiarity. But even as he has given his life for us, 
Help us to be ready to give hours for him. Help us to be truly connected to Jesus Christ. Help us to be broken over sin. Help us to bear the fruit of repentance. Help us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Lord Jesus, you say that without you we can do nothing. We acknowledge that without you we can do nothing. Oh, how we need you in our lives. How we need you, oh Lord, in our walk with you. How we need you in our relationships. How we need you in our academics. How we need you, oh Lord, when we are representing you before men. How we need you in our service before you. How we need you, oh Lord, every moment. And how we can do nothing without your Holy Spirit. Send him upon our hearts and strengthen us, oh Lord. I pray for my brothers and my sisters that they will know to abide in Christ. To abide in his word. To abide in prayer. To abide in the reading of your word. To abide in fellowship. To abide in obedience. To abide in brokenness and repentance. Lord Almighty, help us and strengthen us. For we can do nothing without you. Oh, give us brokenness of heart. You that dwells in the highest of places. But you also stay here on earth with the one whose heart is meek and broken before you. A broken heart, a contrite spirit you will not overlook, O oh Lord. And so, Lord, as you look through this crowd, this audience of your people joined together, singing songs, loving on you, seeking your face, they have decided to walk in your ways. Strengthen them by your spirit. Help them to walk with you. Let them be assured of your great love that you have loved them with in Christ Jesus. And dear Father, glorify your name in their lives because they are your very own people. Be exalted and be magnified. Help us to abide in Christ and to remain in you. Because you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. And what a privilege it is to be in your presence. It is in Jesus' name we have given thanks. Amen.